You have one unheard message. Hi, I was calling Current, the influencer marketing platform, but I think I just got redirected to a bunch of people listening to a podcast. Well, anyways, I was calling Current because I was told they could help get my brand set up on TikTok Shop and even build out an affiliate program of content creators promoting my brand and even have those content creators go on live streams and promote my product there. Wow, I could really use Current. I also heard that the brands they work with are making millions in sales. I guess I'll just go to their website at current.tech. You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to plan the travel experiences you'll have once you arrive. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, activities, excursions, and more in one place to make your trip truly unforgettable. Viator has over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from. Everything from simple tours to extreme adventures and all the niche, interesting stuff in between. So you can plan something that everyone you're traveling with will enjoy. Real traveler reviews give the inside scoop from people who've already been on the experiences you're considering. So you can plan with confidence. Free cancellation helps you plan for the unexpected. And 24-7 customer support means you can travel worry-free. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. It's Friday, everybody. Welcome back to another episode of Murph's Boston Sports Talk. I am your host, James Murphy, a.k.a. Murph, and you can find me on social media at Murph's underscore Boston ST, where the ST stands for Sports Talk. Hopefully, you've had a fantastic week and are excited for the weekend uh, in front of us, right? We're super excited because it's going to be relatively nice weather. Last time I checked, there shouldn't be all too much rain. A little bit of rain on Sunday. But Saturday is looking really, really nice outside. So hopefully you can get outside after a few days of showers and then also some days of... The weather's been weird here. Like seriously, the weather's been really, really weird. It's like raining and then it's like stifling hot. And then like yesterday or the day before, I think it was, it was like kind of cool. Anyways, you're not here to listen to me talk about the weather. You're here to talk for me to talk about sports and you to listen about said sports topics that I have lined up for today's episode. The topics I got lined up are actually kind of a little all over the place, really. We will talk some Red Sox, obviously, and there's a little bit of uh, Bruins news to talk about, obviously, with the Seattle Kraken taking Jeremy Lozon in the NHL expansion draft, which I think is absolutely blown by the Bruins for exposing him. But you know what? We will have a discussion about that as well. But first, but first, I want to talk about the fact that the politically correct people have won again with the Cleveland Indians changing their name from the Indians to the Cleveland Guardians after the 2021 season. I don't like the name. Listen, listen, I've made a video about how we could see the Indians relocate this, this, and that, or at least change their name. And they said that they weren't going to, then they said they might, and now here they are eventually changing their name. Obviously, we've seen the Washington, well, then the Washington Redskins change their name to the Washington football team. They will play as the football team this year, but next year they plan on having a new name. And the Cleveland Indians will be changing their name, like I said, from the Indians to the Guardians after the conclusion of this season, whenever that may come for their ball club. If they're going to change their name, fine. I don't really care about the name changing. I just I think the Guardians kind of sucks, to be honest. But we have a report from ESPN. And is there an There is no author. There is no author for this article, but it is on ESPN. So anyways, let me just dive into it. 
Known as the Indians since 1915, Cleveland's Major League Baseball team will next be called the Guardians. All I can think about every time I say that is the Guardians of the Galaxy. You gotta tell me I'm not the only one that thinks that, right? Anyways, the ball club announced the name change Friday with a video on Twitter narrated by actor Tom Hanks ending months of internal discussions triggered by a national reckoning by institutions and teams to permanently drop logos and names considered racist. Pause. Now, I don't know how Native Americans feel about the term Indians or how Indians may feel about the term, you know, Indians in reference to the Cleveland Indians, but I do know that those that identify as Redskins, whether it is Native Americans, they actually were honored by when the Washington football team was called the Washington Redskins. They felt honored that one of the most prestigious, you know, football teams in the world, one of the 32 best football teams in the world is named after you know their culture or their race i don't know how you know like i said native americans and indians feel about it about the cleveland indians but i don't really think that it's racist i really don't i mean yes you don't see see people be like oh the providence white people or whatever like no now that's like racist but like look at florida state and the seminoles no one's complaining about that the Cleveland Indians, no one was really making a, a deal about that until recently. And then, obviously, with the Washington football team, formerly known as the Washington Redskins, that was a big deal as well. But some people don't consider it racist. Redskins. Indians. Anyways, let me continue. The name change is effective at the end of the 2021 season. The organization spent most of the past year whittling down a list of potential names that was at nearly 1,200 just over a month ago. But the process, which the team said included 140 hours of interviews with fans, community leaders, front office personnel, and a survey of 40,000 fans quickly accelerated and the club landed on Guardians. Team owner Paul Dolan said last summer's social unrest touched off by the killing of George Floyd in Minneapolis spurred his intention to change the club's name. Quote, we are excited to usher in the next chapter or the next era of the deep history of baseball in Cleveland, end quote. Cleveland has and always will be the most important part of our identity, Dolan said. Therefore, we wanted a name that strongly represents the pride, resiliency, and loyalty of Clevelanders. Quote, Guardians reflect those attributes that define us while drawing on the iconic Guardians of Traffic just outside the ballpark of the Hope Memorial Bridge. It brings to life the pride Clevelanders take in our city and the way we fight together for all those who chose to be a part of the Cleveland baseball family. While, quote, Indians will always be a part of our history, our new name will help unify our fans and cities as long as we are all Cleveland Guardians. <sighs> Just the, the reasoning behind the Guardian choice just sounds so corny. It honestly sounds, I, I know I made the joke about, you know, Guardians of the Galaxies, but it literally sounds like he's trying to build a band of superheroes together in Cleveland. Clevelanders, Guardians, uh, it's like, you know, I get fan, family, trying to keep the city together. I get, I get that. But like, uh, I don't know. I just think it's so sacky. Anyways, the t team's colors will remain the same, and the new Guardians logo will incorporate some of the architectural features of the bridge, meaning the Hope Memorial Bridge. In 2018, the Indians stopped wearing the contentious Chief Wahoo logo on their jersey and caps. However, the team continues to sell merchandise bearing the smiling red-faced caricature. I, I just said that so wrong. That has drawn protests from Native American groups for decades. Like I said, there are some people that find it racist and don't like it then there are also some that do and i just i wish you could kind of find a a middle ground here like i understand you're dropping the the chief wahoo logo and you know that may be racist and offensive to other people i gotta silence my phone pardon me and i just dropped my phone but also, you have to respect those that are honored and like the fact that one of the most prestigious baseball teams in the world, one of the 30 baseball teams in the world, are named after your culture, your identity, your ethnicity, your culture, your race. 
I, I mean, like I said, if the Chief Wahoo logo was offensive, they got rid of it a couple years ago. And now it's just, you know, a giant C as their logo. It just says Indians. Nothing incorporated Chief Wahoo at all. If it's still sold in the, the store, the I guess the club team store or whatever, and it's still offending people, then what was the point of dropping it out of your logo to begin with? Yes, I understand it's a part of your team history. I get that. But you also don't see the Red Sox selling Boston Americans like jerseys or hats, right? I don't even know what they looked like. I think they were just plain white jerseys back then because they didn't really have anything to go across it. Anyways, all right. This article is almost done. Almost done. Quote, it's a major step towards writing, writing the wrongs committed against Native people and is one step towards justice, said Crystal Echo Hawk, executive director and founder of Illuminative a group dedicated to fighting misrepresentations of Native Americans. The name change has sparked lively debate among the city's passionate sports fans. Other names, including the Spiders, which was used by a now-defunct Cleveland team, were pushed by supporters on social media platforms. Now, okay, listen, I hate Spiders. My family, Kim, will tell you that's I hate Spiders. But at least Spiders, there's a little bit of history behind the Cleveland baseball name. Or at least, you know, baseball in Cleveland, right? Because the next actual sentence is, Guardians will be the fifth name in franchise history, joining Cleveland Blues from 1901, Cleveland Broncos from 1902, the Cleveland Naps from 1903 to 1914, and most recently, the Cleveland Indians from 1915 to 2021. Quote, This is a historic moment for our franchise, and we are excited for our players and staff to debut our new team, name and look in 2022 end quote uh we look forward to our team proudly representing the city of cleveland as the guardians uh that was said by president of baseball operations chris antonetti which he said in a statement cleveland's change comes as the washington football team continues to work towards a similar makeover washington recently said it will reveal a new name and logo in 2022 now how are the cleveland indians excuse me, the Cleveland Guardians, able to find a new replacement name and such in such a short period of time and the Washington football team, formerly the Redskins, can't. Now, I did hear and I watched a video, uh, I don't know if it was on ESPN or whatever, of some guy who has like 50 legal trademarks for Washington team names, right? It was like the Washington Generals, the Washington this, the Washington that. Excuse me. And it's one of the reasons why the Washington football team is having a hard time trying to find a good team name that, you know, encompasses the, you know, District of Columbia, encompasses the history that was formerly, you know, Washington Redskins, that has been most recently the history of the football team and the deep heritage by Washington football, right? So I kind of get that. But listen, like, it's been two years now. It's like feel like you really should have I mean they'll probably have an announcement towards the end of the regular season for the NFL but I feel like you kind of made it such a quick transition to go from the Redskins to the football team very fast you had all of last year and plus all of this year to kind of figure it out and you would have thought that they would especially where the um the Indians are now able to change their name to the Guardians I I don't know but look look I said it is offensive to some people and it's offensive to not not offensive to some people. If there is a strong passionate group of people that have gone up to the Cleveland Indians organization and said this is offensive, please change it. I'm sure the Cleveland baseball ownership and management has done their due diligence in officially trying to find a way to work things out with them. And they eventually landed on the fact that they need to change their name from the Indians to the Guardians. Now, they're going to keep their colors and, uh, like, the style of their jersey. So, you know how, like, the Indians in Cleveland, I believe, are kind of cursive. I think they're going to keep that when they do change their name to the Guardians. But, I don't know. The colors, though, I feel like you should kind of separate the Indians' history and then you should separate the Guardians' history. Like, whenever a team relocates, you know, new branding, new marketing, new jerseys, new hats, all of that. 
And yes, the Washington Redskins didn't really change their colors to the Washington football team. They, they kind of kept the same thing. I don't know. It's going to look so similar because, you know, obviously me and you have known this team as the Cleveland Indians for so long now. We're going to kind of see the Guardians on the jerseys or whatever and kind of probably call it the Indians by accident. That's just how it is. I don't know. I'm, I'm going to assume that the hat will still say C on it for Cleveland. But I think a whole new rebranded look wouldn't be a bad thing because, like I said, you can separate the Indians' history and then you can separate the Guardians' history. I'm very intrigued to see how that's going to work because if it's just the same thing, same jerseys and all that, they just kind of replaced um, Indians with Guardians. I think that's poor marketing. Just my humble opinion. Another thing that I wanted to talk about... uh, in baseball, or specifically, I guess the Red Sox, we'll just kind of bang out the Red Sox topics, or baseball topics, I should say, is that Tanner Houck looked dirty last night against the New York Yankees, and he was wheeling and dealing until obviously there was a rain delay, and it was too long of a delay for him to go back out there and continue pitching. However, he did pitch fantastic in four and two-thirds innings, where he only gave up two hits, two walks, and struck out eight Yankees. I said this at the beginning of the year. This kid is legit. He is going to be a great pitcher for you. And he should not be in the ro- uh, the bullpen. He should only be in the rotation. They brought him up. He pitched a couple games in the bullpen, at least one. And now he's starting. Keep him in the rotation. Keep him in the rotation. Go the six-man rotation. I don't care. If he's your answer to having a additional starter in your pitching staff, whether it's bullpen or rotation, then you don't have to go out and get somebody. You don't have to go out and spend draft picks, uh, not draft picks, uh, prospects to trade for somebody. I've mentioned this last week when the Red Sox brought up both Duran and Houck, that the Red Sox are going to see if Duran can be the left-handed outfield option that they need on their team, and they're going to see if Tanner Houck will be the pitching rotation need. And so far, I think, though it's only four and two-thirds, but he did pitch a three-inning save in New York a couple nights ago. Or was it in... I don't think he pitched in the the uh, Toronto series. I'm not sure. But anyways, I think Tanner Houck is your answer for your pitching rotation. The need that's in the rotation, I think he's covered it. Now, Chris Sale, coming back, probably won't be until mid-August, will only help that bullpen at least... If he makes a couple starts towards the end of the season, great. I really don't think you need to upgrade your pitching rotation or your pitching staff at all. That's just my humble opinion. I know a lot of people want the Red Sox to, and I won't argue that they shouldn't. Because if you're able to upgrade a strength, do it. But make sure you upgrade your weaknesses first. And I still think the weakness is in the lineup. I still think that they need a legitimate leadoff hitter. I'm not sold on Kike Hernandez. I'm sorry. I'm not sold on Kike Hernandez being our leadoff hitter. I do not want my leadoff hitter hitting 241. Give me like 270, okay? I'll take 270. Yes, he's having a nice little season. 14 home runs, 38 RBIs, but the on-base percentage is 320. I don't want my leadoff hitter on base percentage being 320, hitting 241. I don't want that. I really do think that the Red Sox should go out and get Adam Frazier from the Pittsburgh Pirates. Be a great addition there. Very versatile. I know a lot of people like Kike. I know. I know. But just look at the big picture. He's not the only pro- the only, you know, Issue I have with this lineup. Obviously, they're having Bobby Dahlback still struggling. He did, did go two for four last night. But in the grand scheme of things, the Red Sox are actively looking for an upgrade at first base. They obviously tried Christian Arroyo, who unfortunately got injured in literally his first game at first base. I still think Jose Aguilar from the, the Marlins would be a nice little fit, especially in terms of power hitting. He leads the National League in RBIs. I do think Jaron Duran could be that upgrade in the outfield, but if you bring in Adam Frazier, it kind of you know kills two birds with one stone. 
you get a outfield second base leadoff hitter, someone who's versatile, plays good defense, can't throw him anywhere, like Kike. Michael Chavis getting the start at second base last night. I mean, put Kike at second, Adam Frazier in the outfield, and then you can have Duran either be the platoon guy or kind of figure out lefties and righties. This is what will look like when whoever is pitching. You know what I'm saying? So, Red Sox, they were able to win last night against the Yankees, 5-4 to four in extra innings. It did take 10 innings to win the game. Game was tied up at 3 after 9 full innings. The Yankees scored 1 in the top of the 10th, and then the Red Sox scored 2 in the bottom half of the inning to inevitably win the game. <sighs> Red Sox, I'm telling you, they need to do something. And Alex Cora has shaken up the lineup. He's put Endeavors in the two-hole. Bogart's hitting three. Uh, J.D. Martinez hitting four. A couple nights ago, he was hitting fifth. Verdugo has dropped down in the lineup from you know one or two. He's now hitting like six and seven. Red Sox, recognize that they're having offensive woes, which I've mentioned this. Did I not say this like a month or so ago? Probably more. And definitely less than a month ago, I've said this. They have consistency issues. They need to get that checked out. They had 10 hits in 10 innings. So, you know, average one per inning. Kike, one hit. Devers, one hit. Bogarts, one hit. Martinez, one hit. Verdugo did go three for four, which is awesome. Dahlbeck did go two for four, which I was saying. And Chavis, one hit. Plowecki and Duran. Actually, Duran pinched Ran. But Plowecki pinched hit, who didn't get a hit. Hunter Renfro and Christian Vasquez didn't get a hit. But when you see 10 hits in 10 innings, that's one per, you're not really doing much in terms of offense. You get a base hit. Well, how's the guy getting to second? How's he getting to third or even scoring? Right? They have consistency issues. And yes, I do think their consistency issues have been a lot better as of late. But in the general scheme of things, it's not fixed. And although... They will have they'll go through good spurts where they're scoring 13 runs against the Blue Jays or seven runs against the Blue Jays, winning five to four, winning four nothing, losing five to four. They go through those stretches. All teams do. But if the Red Sox want to be legitimate contenders in not only the American League East, because the Rays made an upgrade, which I'll talk about in a second, but be contenders in the American League and for the potential World Series championship. You have to go out and make a move. Make a move on offense, please. I'd rather see them make two offensive moves and no pitching moves than one pitching move and one offensive move. Make two offensive moves first before you address the pitching because I do think your bullpen's really solid. Your pitching rotation has been very durable. You have Tanner Houck now in the rotation. You're getting Chris Sale back who's more than likely going to go in the bullpen, but can give you a spot start here and there, or even maybe start come the postseason. I just, I don't think it's worth it. I'd rather you go out and upgrade something that needs to be upgraded, and that is your lineup. I am sick of ranting about this. We have a week before the deadline, and speaking of which, like I alluded to just a few moments ago, the Tampa Bay Rays did make a move to bolster their lineup, their lineup, <laughs> and that is trading for Twins designated hitter Nelson Cruz. The Rays acquired him, I think it was literally last night, and the Rays also got right-handed pitcher Calvin Foucher in addition to Nelson Cruz, and the Twins get uh, right-handed pitcher Joe Ryan and right-handed pitcher Drew Strotman. Uh, Ryan is the Rays' number 10 overall prospect, and Strotman is number 17 overall prospect in the Rays farm system giving up 10th and 6th, uh, 17th overall prospect for a ageless wonder Nelson Cruz and I don't know Kevin Foucher to be honest seems kind of steep but Nelson Cruz is a great hitter he's got a great attitude you know he'll hit 40 home runs 100 RBIs year in and year out more than likely obviously being on a crappy twins team this year who actually had a lot of expectations going into the year myself included for that team had them winning the Central, I believe, over the White Sox. Clearly the wrong pick. Great move by the Twins to kind of reset their pitching and get a few arms in their pro, uh, their prospect pool. 
because Nelson Cruz is obviously not a part of the future for the Twins. If the Twins were in a win-now mode, then yes, but since they're rebuilding, get the 40-year-old guy out, give us a couple good prospect arms, and we'll be on our merry way. With the Rays making that move, and they sit currently one whole game back of the division, does this move tilt the Tampa Bay Rays as favorites to win the division? They're currently 7-3 and in their last 10 games with your Red Sox 5-5. Five and five. Like I mentioned, they're only one game back. I don't know. I Right now, if I'm going to bet money right now, I would still say that the Red Sox win the division. That's as far as I'm going to go. The Rays will absolutely make the playoffs, whether it's as a wild card or as a division winner. I'm locking the Rays in the playoffs. I'll probably... Just because I, you know, I, I root for the Red Sox, it's hard for me to lock them in because I'm not trying to give them bad karma. If I give the Rays bad karma by locking them in, I'm not too upset about it. But I think both of those teams will be in the playoffs, either as the division winner or as a wild card. But that move does help the Rays significantly. They need another bat. They, you know, they've called up a couple prospects, Wander Franco and uh, the second baseman. I forget their new guy. Oh, what's the new guy's name? I forget, but he's like the number two prospect for the Rays. They just called up. He's like a second baseman switch hitter as well. And obviously you go out, acquire Nelson Cruz. They're trying to improve and upgrade their lineup because that is what they thought they needed. And that is what they needed. And I hope the Red Sox do the same thing, please. Yankees are 50 and 45, currently eight games out of the, uh, the division. I'm pulling up wild card standings right now. I want to see where they stand in the wild card because I've been sitting here saying that the Yankees should be sellers, and I still think that they are four and a half games out of the wild card behind the Oakland Athletics for the second wild card spot. Mariners right there behind them. Well, actually, with them being four and a half. Blue Jays five. I'm not going to go too deep into it. I've been saying. Kind of joking at first, then I got serious, and I don't exactly know where I, I, I should be with this. Do the Yankees sell at this deadline? They're 6-4 and four in their last 10, obviously playing a huge critical stretch against the Red Sox, where it was supposed to be four, then it ended up being three games out of the, after the, the All-Star break, excuse me, then they played, I think, against the Phillies, I don't even know who. And then they're obviously playing a four-game series against the Red Sox now this week slash weekend. If I'm the Yankees, I you know when they were like one or two games above 500, might as well sell. But they're still kind of there. They're still kind of there, and I don't want to write them off, nor should they be written off. But with the Rays or the Red Sox going to get the division and the other will probably get a wild card, the Oakland Athletics are playing very well. They're only a couple games behind the Astros for the West. And speaking of the Astros, they have the West. Then you have the Yankees, the Mariners, the Blue Jays, the Cleveland Guardians of the Galaxies. All kind of right there. I, I, I don't know. I don't know what you do. Do you buy and try to make a push at it for you know a three-team chase in the division? I don't. I think the division is kind of uh, kind of out of their reach, being eight games. But I have said on this podcast before that six, seven, eight, maybe pushing eight games back, you're still kind of in it. You play a three, four-game series against you know whoever's in first place. You win three or four, you sweep them, you're kind of back in it, right? So that's why this series is so crucial for the Yankees, and you know. In retrospect, it's crucial for the Red Sox as well, especially how hot the Rays are. I don't know. I seriously don't know. I mean, do you, if you're the Yankees, do you try to just, you know, sell one piece off and then buy another piece? Sure. I know if you're the Red Sox, though, obviously being Murph's Boston Sports Talk, we should be talking about more Red Sox stuff. But if I'm the Red Sox, and I've said this a million times, buy, 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 buy. Bye, bye, bye. You know what I'm saying? Like, seriously, come on. Go out, make a move, make two moves. I'd like to see them make two moves. Show me, show you, and show all of Red Sox Nation that you are serious about this year, about winning this year. 
like I've said about the Bruins and the Celtics, go make a move to show us that you are serious, you mean business, and you want to win this year. Both the Bruins and the Celtics did that. Fell short, yes, but they, at least they made the moves. I have no doubt in my mind that the Red Sox will do the same thing. Red Sox play the New York Yankees today at 7:10 at Fenway Park. They will play again tomorrow at 4:05 and then again on Sunday at 1:10 to wrap up the four-game series against the New York Yankees. Like I said, Red Sox won the first one 5 to 4 in 10 innings. Exciting game. It was great to watch the highlights on that one. Did wish I was able to see Tanner Houck go longer in that game cuz I still think he had plenty left in the tank if that game wasn't shortened or well, I guess his start wasn't shortened due to a rain delay. I am looking forward to his next start whenever that is. I know Red Sox might be jumping to a six-man rotation now. We'll just have to wait and see on that. But moving over. So we talked about talked about the Cleveland Guardians of the Galaxies. We talked about the Red Sox. Just trying to close out some tabs here. Talked about the Nelson Cruz trade. Obviously, what the standings look like, or at least kind of what the standings look like. Let's stay in New England and talk about the Boston Bruins. I mentioned that the Bruins lost Jeremy Lozon in the NHL expansion draft. And I mentioned that they screwed that up, that they should have protected him. Now, let me defend myself. Do I think that they physically should have protected him? No. If you are able to wink, wink, nod, nod with Brandon Carlo, hold him off from signing... So you're able to protect Jeremy Lozon. And then obviously once the signing moratorium was up or over, I should say, Thursday at 1 o'clock, whenever the hell it was, then you signed Brandon Carlo. You should have done that. Or what I guess I would rather have liked to see is the Bruins, and I hate saying this, but maybe they should have protected Nick Ritchie instead of Jake DeBrusque to kind of show the Kraken, hey, Jake DeBrusque, look, hey, Jake DeBrusque, take Jake DeBrusque. You know, we were going to trade him anyways. Take Jake DeBrusque. He's, you know, good young players, 30 or so goals, you know, upper 20s, however many he had. Take him instead. Take him, take him. Don't take our 24-year-old defenseman, Jeremy Lozon. That could have worked because young, good defensemen don't come all too often in the NHL, hence why you saw the Bruins at the trade deadline trade for Mike Riley because they needed depth at that position. They had a bunch of young guys, hence why they moved on from Zdeno Chara. Injuries kind of caught up. Some of the defensive guys weren't ready. You guys know the story. They lose in the second round. Anyways, they chose to protect Jake DeBrusque for either two reasons, one or two reasons. They still believe in him being a top six forward for for them. Or maybe I should say the seventh forward if they bring back Krejci and they bring back Hall, which Taylor Hall seems like is a done deal, but you know, Talk about that in a minute because Jake DeBrusque has had some good moments and good times with the Bruins in his career thus far. Do not get me wrong. However, there are rumors that you're going to trade him anyways, but what's that package going to look like though? If the package isn't good enough, then you just lost a great young, I don't want to say great, but a good young defenseman in Jeremy Lozon. But if you put... Jake DeBrusque, if you unprotect Jake DeBrusque, you protect Nick Ritchie, then the Kraken are left with a decision to either still take Jeremy Lozon and you can still keep and then trade or, you know, play Jake DeBrusque. Or they take Jake DeBrusque. I mean, it's like that simple. I mean, the, the choices are kind of that simple. I don't know why I pause so much. You know, I'm, I'm trying to think of, you know, reasons or, you know, outcomes in my head. <laughs> but yeah, it's, it's obviously protecting Nick Ritchie isn't really that kind of uh, sexy, right? I mean, he was the fourth highest scoring player with 15 goals this year for the Bruins. He did kind of fade away, or he did fade away big time in the playoffs, and so did Jake DeBrusque. It, it's just, it's so tough because you couldn't protect Jeremy Lozon unless you unprotected two forwards, which you easily could have done. You could have done the eight skaters, protected... Bergeron, Pasternak, Marchand, uh, Craig Smith. And then you could have protected Grizzlick, McAvoy, Carlo, and then Jeremy Lozon. And then obviously the goalie as well, but that's standard with no matter which thing you choose. You could have done that. But then again, you, you're going to expose a Jake DeBrusque. You're going to expose um, Trent Frederick, right? 
it's such a hard decision. It really, it really was a hard decision. And Jeremy Lozon could end up turning out to be nothing. He could end up turning into be a bust. He did fade away, like DeBrusque and like Nick Ritchie in the playoffs. Absolutely. But 24 years old, I think that was his first full season. You hate losing that kind of guy, especially when defense is still a need for this team. It kind of sucks and leaves a sour taste in your mouth. At least it doesn't mind, right? It, it doesn't mind because, yeah, you get to keep Connor Clifton. You get to keep Nick Ritchie. You get to keep Jake Jabroski and whoever else was unprotected. That is great. I, I don't know, though. I, I, I really like Jeremy Lozon. I know a lot of people are just like, oh, it doesn't really matter. And, you know, he didn't play that good. But he has a lot of potential, though, to be a top four defensive player for you and to really be kind of that physical presence on defense. I think that this is a, a kind of a loss for the Bruins and a huge gain for the Kraken, you know, being a young team, obviously, having a bunch of young players on their roster to kind of, A, be competitive now with the veterans that they selected, and then also with the young players that they have on their team to be good, or at least the potential to be good, in a couple of years. It's a great pick for them, Jeremy Lozon, and it sucks to be the Bruins because you lost on a good young defenseman, but you chose to unprotect him, or and you chose to not dangle Jake DeBrusque in front of them because, hey, just because DeBrusque was out there doesn't mean they're going to take him. Doesn't mean they weren't going to take Lozon. It's just that trade package, if you do move Jake DeBrusque, has to be A1. And if you don't trade him, then Jake DeBrusque better play like a top three forward on your third line because you're going to need him to do that. Otherwise, losing Jeremy Lozon is going to suck even more because Jeremy Lozon could turn out to be a star and Jake DeBrusque could suck and fizzle or vice versa where Jake DeBrusque is still young. He still has some potential. I don't think he's reached the ceiling yet where he could turn out to be the star and it was a great move to protect him and keep him. And then Jeremy Lozon, 25, 26, 27, suck bag, you know, cracking wave them so it's going to be something that we're not going to have a true answer until maybe this time next year to see how the two of them have played but something that i do want to talk about that will impact next year obviously and i alluded to it just you know a few minutes ago is that taylor hall in the bruins nothing is official let me preface that nothing is official it is just reported it is you know in the finalization process, it is expected. It is wanted by probably 99% of uh, Boston Bruins fans that Taylor Hall and the Boston Bruins are finalizing a four-year contract for $24 million, obviously AAV, $6 million a year. You, Bruin fan, how are you feeling about this? A, do you want Taylor Hall back? And B, do you like this contract? Me, personally, I like it. Four years, which, I mean, what, Taylor Hall's, I think, 30, 29, 30 or so. So he's in his prime. He's a former MVP, former number one overall pick. He previously signed a one-year $8 million deal. So you're giving him some protection or some security with a four-year deal, less money. So it helps you and your cap books. He's even said that he doesn't want to maximize his value. He wants to stay here. He thinks he's a good fit here to go out and potentially win a Stanley Cup because I feel like for a lot of uh, hockey players, I think a lot of hockey players are very unselfish. I think hockey and their you know players are probably the most unselfish players in all of sports. Obviously, you will run into some of your selfish players. You, you run into those in every sport, right? And I think Taylor Hall is like, listen, I got my MVP. I was the number one overall pick. I've made my money. I've scored my goals. Now I want to win. I want to put my name in the Hall of Fame. I want my name on the Stanley Cup. And I think that's exactly what he's, you know, trying to do here by taking less money and being a part of this Boston Bruins team because he does gel. He does fit here being on the special teams unit or being part of Krejci's second line if Krejci does come back. But either way, Taylor Hall is a huge piece to the 2021-2022 campaign for the Boston Bruins. You will need Taylor Hall because you cannot bank on your farm system because it's barely there. You can't bank on the trade deadline, which nothing may be there. You traded a second-round pick 
and Anders Bjork for him and Curtis Lazar. So you've invested a second-round pick into this guy. Keep him. He wants to stay here. He doesn't want to maximize his value. You can't lose on a talent like this. So this deal, whenever it gets completed and it's official, will be a big day in Boston Bruins history because Krejci has been looking for a forward for the longest period of time to go alongside him. Jake DeBrusque has kind of been there a little bit. Craig Smith uh, was there doing very well last year. Then you bring in Taylor Hall, that second unit, that second line just, damn, is so good. Kind of fizzled away, at least Taylor Hall did in the playoffs, but you know what? It's his first legitimate go-around in the playoffs. So I'm very excited that hopefully this gets done and we can celebrate because I do like what the Boston Bruins are going to be doing with Taylor Hall. I would assume Krejci's coming back too, but nothing has been really said about that. I believe uh, free agency starts... The 28th, I want to say it does. I know the the draft is tonight, actually, and the Bruins hold the 21st pick in the draft. And however, that actually segues me. Look at that. See how smooth I am with those transitions, right? Bruins may not even be selecting tonight as they're in talks with the Arizona Coyotes about a potential trade involving several players from both sides. I would assume draft picks are also in discussion as well. However, what's going to what's going to happen? A uh, big name that's rumored to be part of the deal is Arizona Coyotes winger Connor Garland, who I believe is like 24 or something like that. Uh, I'm not exactly sure how old he is, but he's not hes not old. Uh, he's not a rookie, but he's a good age, right? I, I wish... Let me, just, let me just Google it. How about that, right? H- how about we just Google it? Uh, 25. All right, so I was very close. And this deal, I don't really know besides several players. Prospects, draft picks, and Connor Garland. Will it even get done tonight? Who knows? If it's involving draft picks, I would assume so. But could this just be, you know, players and picks going back, uh, players and prospects going back and forth? Sure. But I feel like something like this is going to be big, and I feel like something this big would be done ahead of the draft, which I believe starts at 7, 8 o'clock. I don't even know, but it's on ESPN if you want to watch. What do I want to see? Well, I would love to have Connor Garland come to the, the Bruins. A top six forward probably but if you do bring back Krejci and you do bring back Hall your first line is Bergeron, Pasternak, Marchand your second line is uh, Taylor Hall, Krejci, Craig Smith and then Connor Garland going to be your third line with um, Charlie Coyle or do you move Craig Smith down and then you put Connor Garland up on the second line it gives you some flexibility then what about Jake DeBrusque and Nick Ritchie the guys that like you know were potential protections and unprotections. Is Jake DeBrusque in this trade right here? Potentially. We have to wait and see, obviously, for details. I'm liking the direction that you know Don Sweeney is trying to take these brooms right now. He's trying to be aggressive. He's trying to go out and make a splash because he knows that this team's window is closing and closing fast. They made it to the Stanley Cup Finals two seasons ago. They lost. They couldn't make it back the next year, or this past year. They lost Zidane Chara. Bergeron is getting older. Marchand is getting older. Krejci is getting older, potentially not even going to be on the team next year. Tuka Rask seems like he's virtually out the window. Your core is fizzling. Reload. Invest into the now if it costs sacrificing the future. Because Bergeron, Marchand, they need a second cup they do you know everyone says players in all sports right they need one they need at least one to really be considered a great that is why i don't view mike trout as one of the all-time great players not yet at least if he can win one world series then yes his individual statistics year in and year out are phenomenal and he'll ever forever be in the debate for a top you know whatever player of all time top five player top three player probably of this generation, right? But so what? You put up great numbers. So what? Tons and tons of players have put up great numbers, made tons of all-stars, gold gloves, money, all that. But what does it do? Yeah, you, you look cool. You might get into the Hall of Fame, but it's about championships. Tom Brady, seven rings. Michael Jordan, six rings. LeBron James, four rings. Bill Russell, 11 rings. 
It's about championships. And the Bruins, they made it to three cups in nine years, won one, lost two. If they were able to win one of those two that they lost, that core group unit, Krejci, Bergeron, Marchand, Chara, Tuca, immortalized as not just Boston legends, but hockey legends as well. That's why it was so, so upsetting that the Celtics lost that 2010 NBA Finals against the Lakers because Paul Pierce, Ray Allen, Kevin Garnett were only able to get one ring together. Obviously, Ray Allen got another with the Miami Heat, but you know that came a few years later. Garnett and Pierce only getting one ring. Yeah, they're Boston legends, but in their statistics will you know obviously you know cause a debate and argument for this but Larry Bird Kevin McHale Robert Parrish John Havlicek Bob Cousy Bill Russell multiple time champions and then you have you know Paul Pierce then you have Kevin Garnett it's the same thing you have Bobby Orr then you have Patrice Bergeron right you see you see what i'm saying here it's about multiple championship wins and investing in the now by spending the future will help immortalize not not just in Boston history these players Bergeron, Marchand, you know, Tuka's back sure, Krejci if he's back sure. But it will help immortalize these guys in the National Hockey League history. It'll put them up a pedestal. When you go to have a, you know, a debate about the top 5, top 10, top 20 players of all time in the NHL, you will be able to throw Bergeron and Marchand into that mix. Whatever your top 10, top 20, whatever that whatever your, you know, your list is, it doesn't matter, I don't care. But at least there's an argument to be made for each of these players. But with just one cup uh, cup win, it's going to be too hard to kind of make that argument. That's why it's so important to have multiple. If LeBron James never won a championship, then yes, Michael Jordan is the greatest basketball player of all time. But now that he's won four and he's been to, I don't even know how many finals, and with all these stats that he has, there's an argument to be there. And whichever side you're on, cool. I don't care. That's the great thing about sports. No, I mean, I guess people are right and wrong, but you can have a debate, you can have a conversation. Hence the purpose of this podcast is to have a conversation, a debate, a discussion. If we get into an argument, sure. But at the end of the day, we're passionate about sports. And I, I, I completely digressed off of the Bruins and uh, trading for, potentially trading for Connor Garland um, with the Arizona Coyotes. So, holy crap, I just went on a complete tangent, and I completely apologize. But hopefully you were kind of able to enjoy that, I think. Um, real quickly, before we kind of wrap things up, Stefan Gilmore did finally report to training camp yesterday, Thursday. Um, he was on, he's on the PUP list, the physically unable to perform list probably has to do his physicals, do all this and do all that. Will he actually participate and do things while only making $7 million? That is yet to be foreseen, but at least he's in the building. He has at least reported yippee. Thank goodness because Stefan Gilmore is such an important piece to the Patriots success, not just defense, but team success. He's such a crucial, important piece arguably the best defender on our team. We will need him this year. It's a passing league. You have two top flight cornerbacks in Gilmore and JC Jackson. You need them both. Whew. That was a lot. <laughs> that was a lot. We talked about a lot today. Um, I guess the only, the last thing I really want to talk about is I was listening on the radio and they were talking about um, players that they hate watching. I think they were specifically talking about the NBA, so I guess I'll kind of go off with this. I'll name you three. My top three most annoying players to watch. No order. Top three most annoying players to watch. Draymond Green. James Hart. Bro, chill. Bobby's like waking up from a nap. just like shaking. His collar's making so much noise. Draymond Green. James Harden. As much as I love him, I want to say LeBron James. That's just, I mean, they flop, they draw unnecessary fouls, they slow the game down, they try to do it in a strategic way. I get it, I understand. Free throws, big thing. But, uh, I don't know. I love I love me some LeBron James. I think he's the GOAT. Personal opinion. 
but it is sometimes unbearable to watch those three players or just the NBA in general. Like I said, I barely watched any basketball this year because I cannot bear to watch NBA games. They're so insufferable. They're so long and dragged out. Fouls, three-pointers, no defense. And that's it. And some dunks here and there. But guys, girls, ladies, gentlemen, folks, people, whatever. That is going to wrap it up for today's episode. Episode number 75 of Merv's Boston Sports Talk. We went over a bunch of things today. The Cleveland Guardians of the Galaxy, the Red Sox, Tanner Hulk. Uh, obviously, we just touched upon the Patriots. We talked about the Bruins as well. Holy smokes. Wow, did we go over so much in today's episode. A lot to have talked about. Glad we were able to talk about it. If I missed anything that you want me to talk about for Monday's episode, either reach out to me on social media or comment down below if you're watching this on YouTube. Also, let me know your thoughts and opinions about whatever we talked about today, whether it's through social media or down in the comment section below here on YouTube. And speaking of YouTube, please like this video if you enjoyed today's episode. Comment down below like I asked. And please, please, please hit that big giant red subscribe button if you're new or haven't considered subscribing yet to the channel as I would greatly appreciate that. Make sure you're downloading, listening, and enjoying on all audio-only platforms, Spotify, Google, Amazon, Apple, wherever, whatever, I'm there. You can download, listen, and enjoy to Merv's Boston Sports Talk on those audio platforms. Folks, thank you so much for joining. I cannot wait for Monday's episode of Merv's Boston Sports Talk to talk about probably a lot of Red Sox, maybe some Patriots, we're just going to have to see if anything you know Celtics-related comes up right now. I mean, NBA Finals is over, so the offseason can kind of kick off and get going. And then if there's you know anything breaking news in terms of the Bruins, we'll definitely be discussing that, whether it's Taylor Hall, uh, but hopefully finally re-signing, maybe news on David Krejci, and maybe some news about a trade with the Coyotes or whomever on draft night, before draft night, or after draft night, whatever it may be, whenever it may be. But, folks, that's going to do it. Thank you so much, and I will catch you in the next one. But between now and then, you know that I love you. You know that I will always, always, always see you.